here. I just wanted to thank everyone who came out to the latest Apologetics Canada Literary Expedition on a Christian understanding of technology, and let you know that the recording of that, along with our previous ACLEs, can be found at apologeticscanada.com slash ACLE. You know, we have so many exciting events coming up, including our annual Leadership Summit. The Leadership Summit seeks to bring together aspiring Christian thought leaders from across the country for an incredible weekend of networking and equipping. This is an opportunity for young professionals and student leaders to engage and really dig into relevant and practical topics related to being a Christian in our day and age. Applications for our October Leadership Summit taking place at BC's own Sasquatch Mountain are up and available and can be found at apologeticscanada.com's homepage under the Leadership Summit BC icon. Finally, and I promise I'll let you get back to the podcast, but I'd be remiss if I left out the invitation to invite you, yes, you, to this year's launch event. We're hosting a barbecue and open house just five minutes across the border in Linden, Washington. Come meet me and the rest of the AC team and hear about some of the exciting things we're planning to do this upcoming year to equip the Christian community to understand, defend, and share the gospel with biblically sound, intellectually robust, and culturally engaged faith. Helping you to love God and love people. Find all the information about how to register, the schedule, and more by going to apologetics.com and finding that icon on the homepage. Thanks, Wes. Now on to today's episode. Myself, Wes, and Steve delve deep into the themes of grief, guilt, and regret, drawing parallels between the response of Judas and Peter to their denials of Jesus. Exploring the nuanced emotions and consequences faced by these two figures, they shed light on the contrasting paths they took. How do we deal with our mistakes? By examining these biblical examples of human frailty, we are provided a roadmap for moving beyond the shadows of our own regrets and into repentance. Enjoy the episode. Hello, listeners, and welcome to the AC Podcast. My name is Troy, and I am here with Wes and Steve. Fellas, how we doing? Doing good. How are you? Wes looks like he's like, uh, you didn't let me answer, Steve. <laughs> I didn't really have anything interesting to say anyways. Good day. Good day. <laughs> I am doing well. I actually, for all the apologists in the room, um, I finally finished uh, Lee Strobel's Case for Christ. And now I feel like all of you. Nice. <laughs> I feel like all of you. You know, that's the book that I got started on. Mm-hmm. And for me, it was really helpful because that was the book that it's not even so much the content of it. I mean, content is great, but. The real value for me were were all the names, mm. the sort of the kids. Lee interviews sort of the who's who in that yeah. field. So I'm just like, oh, the, that's where I heard about J.P. Moreland, William Lane yeah. Craig, although they were in Case for Faith, but like Edwin Yamauchi and some of these other guys. Yeah, yeah, it was um, it was a really really good read. You know, I, many listeners probably don't know I wasn't you know, brought up in the apologetics world in and of itself. You know, I, I went to Bible college and did four years of Bible college and, you know, pastor's kid. And my dad was, my dad was big into apologetics, but it was never something that I naturally understood what this kind of, I say world loosely, but you know what I mean? Um, mm-hmm. Study meant at all. And so when I first came into AC and 
you know, I was really trying to get my feet wet. I remember, um, you know, asking Andy, I'm like, Andy, like, are there any books that would just help give me context, you know, help give me context for what I'm doing? And, and Andy in his graciousness was like, man, honestly, there's so much, like there, there is so much. And apologetics is actually so vast and diverse that I can't direct you to one space, but just kind of let like not dismissing it all, but he was like, man, really just let God lead you as, as you're kind of, you know, trying to get a well-rounded, um, at least understanding of before it branches into a million different things. And so one of those yeah. books that just kept coming up was Lee Strobel's case for Christ. And, um, it's just an interesting book to read when you, like, when I can say like, I, I truly have a faith in Jesus already that is grounded, that is, um, sure. But just to read it again, just, I had a bunch of like Holy ghost moments, man, where I was just, just had to get, I just got excited because mm-hmm. it just only affirms so much more of what I already believe. And, um, it just reminded me of the importance of study. And so, yeah. um, on today's episode, we- oh no, go ahead. Yeah, I, I was just actually going to ask whether, you know, growing up, so your dad was like into apologetics, but you didn't really pick it up growing up. Yeah. Would you say that was a, that was a regret of yours? I wouldn't, I wouldn't say it was a regret. I would say I regret not having teachers that taught, taught me how to have biblical discussions more than biblical arguments. Mm-hmm. I had a lot of teachers that all right, when they question you with this, the, like it was argumentative, it was divisive yeah. rather than teach me to ha- how to have conversations and also show me where I can look, show me the resources, mm-hmm. show me, give me a proper biblical hermeneutic so that I, when I go to the scripture, I'm not looking at the Bible just for the sake of going and dunking on somebody, but I'm looking at it for the sake of soul winning for mm-hmm. evangelism and for the sake of the gospel more than me just being yeah. right. I know this isn't our topic today necessarily, mm-hmm. but I wouldn't say that I grew up with apologetics being kind of a a prevalent topic either. Mm. Um, I was also a pastor's kid, but the apologetics that I was kind of exposed to when I was younger, I I would actually say it wasn't even good apologetics. Uh, It was a lot Mm. of, there's like, there's a good version of young earth creationism. And then there's kind of a, a little bit of a wacky version of young earth creationism. And we had this, I don't know how many part VHS series of what was a little bit of a kind of loopy um, young earth creationism stuff where, <laughs> and then when I went, when I went and got interested in, in the history of the Bible, uh, I remember thinking back and thinking, they said some stuff that was just outright incorrect. Um, Cause the guy who was doing it was a King James only and he was a little bit of a conspiracy theorist. And I don't, I don't, I think my parents were just kind of that they didn't, that they meant well, but I don't know if they knew too much about this guy's background, but this was like, oh, he's defending mm. the Bible. And so that's good. Um, but uh, right. yeah, I, I think I came in into the apologetics world at a, a completely different, through a completely different door because I didn't really know about the mm. Lee Strobel's and the Josh McDowell's and, and those kind of bigger names until after I'd really gotten interested in the topic and then had to go back mm-hmm. and be like, oh, okay, these are people who I should be at least aware of. See, that's just it. At least, at least aware of. And I think that's for me, much of what this was is because the amount of times you get reference. I was at my, my brother's, uh, my brother-in-law's and he's like, man, I just picked up this book. Have you read it? 
<laughs> it's Lee Strobel's Kids for Christ. And so then I was like, okay, I'm going to read this book this month. Gonna get this, yeah. gonna get this done. And um, all that to be said, I really, really enjoyed it. So now I'm, I jokingly say uh, I'm on your level now, which is far from true, but <laughs> I at least have some kind of frame of reference now when everyone's quoting it. But yeah, let's, let's get into today's topic. Um, I had this idea while I was on on vacation this summer when, you know, I heard somebody say, man, no regrets. And there's always this phrase, no regrets thrown around, you know? So you got people, you know, who've made mistakes in their lives and they're like, well, I don't regret any of it because I, I learned from it. But I, I was, I was talking to my wife about it and I was sitting there and I was thinking, I don't know about that because there's some things that I really wish I didn't have to Hmm. learn that way. And in learning, I learned that I didn't actually have to learn that way. You know, some of these things as a kid or in my younger years or whatever, several years back, whatever the timeline is for a situation. Three weeks ago. There was either someone, (laughs) three weeks ago, there was someone, (laughs) there was an opportunity to make a different decision and I did not. And my regret is one of, I wish I didn't have to learn that way. And so it just kind of came to me. I'm like, I wonder if what the Bible would say about regret, because the, I, this, these two concepts, or I guess titles that I would put on it is, I, I wonder if there is a constructive regret and a destructive regret. The type of regret that can lead to a positive outcome and response We'll get into the requirements of what that would take. And then the other one, destructive, is just as it sounds, one that kind of leads to dis that actually leads to destruction. But I guess first we we would have to define what we mean by regret. And so I'm gonna pass this to my linguist Steve first. When you hear the term regret, without Webster's, how do you approach yeah. regret? Well, regret is I think just intuitively the way we think about it is something we wish were different in our past in particular. Something we've done, something we've failed to do, I wish it would have turned out differently. Especially if you are kind of, maybe I don't want to use the word guilty necessarily, but if you happen to be responsible for something that happened, I think that's where we experience a lot of that kind of regret. That's That would be my starting point. I don't know if... Uh, you, Troy, or you, Wes, have a different idea about it, but that's where I would yeah, start. Yeah, I mean, that's what I was thinking, kind of a disappointment over a situation Yeah, that you wish it could have gone yeah. a different mm-hmm. way uh, or that the, the circumstances played out in, yeah. in, a, in a different order. Yeah. 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 I mean, so uh, as we were talking earlier about apologetics and Troy being being on our level now, Yes, uh, <laughs> yes. Make it, make it known. Now that it's been make said, it it's immortalized. Uh, yeah. Um, if there is a regret in my life, it is that I actually didn't have much of this exposure to apologetics growing up. Mm. And for those of our listeners and viewers who know my story, in my early 20s, I walked away from my faith because of all these questions and objections and the doubts that I had. Um and once I came back, so to speak, I was thinking to myself going, man, like if somebody had just walked with me, walked through this, you know, even just rudimentary apologetic stuff in my high school years, let's say, um, then I could have 
like this was completely unnecessary. This mm -hmm. phase of calling myself an atheist and then coming back and then you know digging into all that stuff. Like I could have done the digging way earlier. So there there is a regret of a sort on my part because I could have done that. I could have done that. I could have done the studying. On yeah. the other hand, there was also a part of this regret that's not necessarily my fault, if you will, because um, I wish like it, I just wasn't aware of the wealth of resources that were out there yeah. for me to access. I just didn't know about it. I wish somebody had come along and guided me through this. Right. Mm -hmm. So there is that kind of regret there. Yeah, and and so there was something that you had you had said was feeling responsible for an action or an outcome. And, and so this is why when I was thinking about this, immediately my brain is like, okay, what is scripture? What examples can I draw from scripture that, that feel more blatantly obvious? Mm -hmm. And so I want to contrast how we see Peter deal with what I would call regret and how Judas handles his regret mm -hmm. for what he does. But Again, this is why I think it's important to define why it's super important to define regret, because I'm sure there might be pushback from people that say, well, I don't know if Judas actually regretted what he did, but he just couldn't deal with the guilt. So Matthew 26, we see Peter denying Jesus, right? And he was warned about this. He was already told that this was going to happen, right? At the Last Supper, he tells him, Peter, surely before the, the rooster crows three times, you will deny me. And Peter's like, what? No way. Obviously. This then, in the midst of their grief, in the midst of the tension, as Jesus is being put on trial, Peter denies Jesus. He says, no, I don't know him. I don't know him. I don't know him. While people recognize him. After a little while, the bystanders came up and said to Peter, certainly you too are one of them, for your accent betrays you. Then he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I don't know the man. And immediately the rooster crowed. And Peter remembered the saying of Jesus, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. And that's the last we see of Peter in that situation. Now, when I look at that situation, and then I look at the timeline of Jesus's crucifixion, we see that the disciples abandon Jesus. The next time we see Peter show up is when he is in the house with the other disciples, right? He's, Jesus has risen from the dead and now Peter is, you know, wow, you really are the son of God, right? And that's the next time you see him. And it's really intriguing for me to see Peter do that when then you turn the next page and you look at Judas and how Judas responded. So in Matthew 27, then Judas, his betrayer, saw that Jesus was condemned. He changed his mind and brought back the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders, saying, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. They said, what is that to us? See to it yourself. And throwing down the pieces of silver into the temple, he departed and he went and hanged himself. But the chief priests taking the pieces of silver said, it is not lawful to put them into the treasury since it's blood money. So Judas's response is vastly different. This is why I brought up the question of was Judas's action one of regret or was he overwhelmed with guilt? Yeah. Um, I think that there's a good test case because both Peter and Judas betray Jesus the night before his crucifixion. Mm -hmm. uh, and even, uh, yeah. I think we, we have more 
sort of reference within scripture for this this kind of conversation because in in second corinthians 7 10 it says for godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret so there's that word regret whereas worldly grief Mm -hmm. produces death and you see this right judas betrays Mm -hmm. jesus the night before his crucifixion but then so does peter and and i think both are grieved by their horrendous actions. But one of them had grief that I think we can say pushed them towards Jesus, and the other had grief that pushed them towards seeking any relief other than Jesus. You know, I don't think I don't think mm. Judas wasn't seeking repentance. I think he just wanted the guilt off of him. And that's exactly you know what you read there uh Troy or at least highlighted. He throws the money back at the temple. What is where does he throw it? He throws it towards those who paid him, and then he runs away and he takes his own life. And so I think that's yeah. very different than what we see with Peter's example. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and I mean, both of them, right? Peter and Judas, they betrayed Jesus in a very serious way. Like one handed him over to be crucified. You know, the guy that traveled with Jesus for years handed him over to meet some kind of a political agenda that he had because Judas was probably thinking, okay, here's the Messiah. I hand him over to the Romans. He's going to defeat the Romans. So in a sense, he was, you could say that Judas was even trying to manipulate Jesus by Mm. handing him over because he was totally probably expecting that Jesus would lash out at the Romans and finally overthrow Rome and free Israel, um, the people of Israel from the foreign rule, um, but that didn't happen. On the other hand, you see Peter calling curses down on himself, right, Mm -hmm. in order to disassociate himself from Jesus. But yeah, it's pretty pretty significant. I'm not sure what their theology would have been over suicide, (laughs) but at least Peter didn't do that, right? Peter, um, I don't know what he was expecting uh, but we we do see that he went back to his trade later mm-hmm. because Jesus comes to the lake um, and they don't, you know, the disciples don't recognize him. Yeah. And you know the story, right? Jesus mm-hmm. says, just like when he called them the first time, cast the net on the other side. They have this huge catch and John recognizes him and it's the Lord. And of course, Peter, you know, always the you know action first kind of guy jumps into the water comes onto the shore and here's Jesus cooking breakfast and they're eating and then Jesus reinstates him yeah. by giving himself a chance to sort of be redeemed uh, from his denial of him he, do you love me do you love me do you love me and just as peter denied him three times jesus gives him the chance to affirm right um choose jesus if you will Uh, three times and so redeem himself that way so my my challenge is then is as we're as we're talking i'm seeing where lines blur between grief and regret right because Mm -hmm. when i look at the word regret it 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 does seem more as one that's like man like feeling sorry for what you have done but then when you read second corinthians 10 just like you you did a moment ago wes it was you you see how scripture says that there's a godly grief and grief is often associated with loss, right? It's often associated with uh, uh, some form of uh, a heartbreak, right? As I'm looking at this 
the godly component of it. You know, scripture is is our mm. standing point, right? Period, period, point blank. But I, it is such an interesting thing to see how both of these people both went through grief and what happens when you allow when you allow grief to dictate your your next move, mm-hmm. right? When you allow your grief to dictate even your perception of, of something you've done wrong. Yeah, I think that's what uh, Wes was saying earlier, right? With Judas, he was uh, not able to sort of, I don't know if this would be the appropriate way to say it, but rise above his grief. Mm-hmm. Uh, like you were mm-hmm. saying, grief dictated him. Um, he just wanted some relief from it, any kind of relief from it. And so he hung himself. I think the, there is a reason, though, um, there is a reason why that line between grief and regret is blurry. It's because there is an overlap. It, it is because mm-hmm. the line is blurry. Yeah. Um, just as there is this overlap between a gift and a bribe, right? Grief mm-hmm. and regret, they, they have some linkage together. But if you look at a gift and a bribe, there is something that separates the two. Namely, it's the intent, right? With yeah. bribe, you want quid pro quo. You want something mm. in return. Yeah. Um, and so, but a gift is something that you give without expecting anything in return. So what's the thing that separates grief from regret? I'll let Wes answer that question. Oh, I don't know if I have an answer for it, though. <laughs> I'll toss it over to Wes, you. Wes, what do you think? Uh, well, <laughs> let me think about what I think. Um, well, when you when you guys were talking, I was just thinking, I was almost picturing like a Venn diagram, or you have these words that we're throwing around, grief, regret, but then as, mm-hmm. I was also thinking guilt. That there's obviously, there's overlap within mm-hmm. those three concepts, grief, guilt, and regret. And I think yeah. where the difference is, is when you look at someone like Judas, he had grief, he had regret, he had guilt, but that almost pushed him inward, inward to like a woe is me kind of mindset, which ultimately led him to a noose. Whereas Peter doesn't let that consume him in the same way. Like kind of what you see with um, what Paul says in Romans chapter eight, you know, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, that we can experience this, this grief and this guilt for our sin, but we don't let that consume us and stay there. And I wonder if that's what Paul is talking about mm-hmm. um, when he's writing to the Corinthian church in, in 2 Corinthians, uh, when he says that mm-hmm. there's there's a worldly grief that produces death. Is that like w- when yeah. when you experience this grief and you're looking at those overlap points between guilt and grief and um, regret, the 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 ones that are going to ultimately lead you to destruction, uh, those, those overlapping circles are the ones that are going to point you to just feeling consumed about that. I think it was, I believe it was Martin Luther. I can't remember. Um, I might be misremembering this, but, um, (laughs) there being a a quote about him talking about, you know, if the, if the devil points his, walks into the room and points his finger and, and, highlights all of the bad things you've done uh, your response is to laugh and tell him he doesn't even know the half of it um yeah. because uh, realistically uh, if if we understand the depths of our depravity but we also understand how glorious grace and mercy and the atoning work of Christ is then the being consumed by the gravity of our sin is is going to be temporary because 
yes, we're great sinners, but Christ is a greater savior. That's good. Mm. That's good. Stevie had something to say. Yeah, the talking about grief and regret and guilt, and by guilt, we're talking specifically about that uh, sense of guilt that we have, not the sort of the external objective guilt, um, but the sense, the feeling of guilt. Um, I think there's also a close connection with repentance there, mm-hmm. right? Because repentance requires, in a sense, grief over what you've done, and you regret mm-hmm. what you've done. Yeah. And that leads to change your mind, you know, by the grace of God. Yeah. Um, so that you can turn towards him. And, and that's that's what I really picked up on earlier uh when you Wes said that, you know, Judas he wanted relief in anything other than Jesus. Yeah. Right? Um, so that that was really too bad for him. Now the the person that I think of in the Bible is when Jesus talks about, you know, this this parable, right? Of the tax collector and the um, Pharisee praying in the temple. Mm. And here's the Pharisee going, hey, you know, God, I'm so thankful that I'm not like this sinner over here. I'm, I'm not a, you know, thank God that I'm not a woman, not a Gentile, and all these things. Like, he's so, like, uh, sure of his own righteousness. Whereas here is this sinner who can't even raise his eyes to the heavens, and he's beating his breast saying, you know, have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus says, you know who went home justified? It's that sinner, yeah. not the Pharisee. Yeah. And you see that sense of guilt, I am a sinner. And you see that grief. And and you see, I, I would also say you see a huge sort of element of shame, sense of shame in it too. Because yeah. he can't lift his eyes to the. So when I look at that and I go, I know in our culture, Words like shame and regret, we almost have this allergic reaction to it. Right, right. You know, because you got to, you do you, right? You're perfect just the way you are. No regrets. No regrets. And I'm thinking, well, actually, no. You know, have you ever met somebody who has no shame Mm. and has, right? Have you no shame? It's not a good thing. (laughs) Yeah. Right. And, And if guys like, I'll just, I know I'm rambling on a little bit, so I'll wrap, I'll wrap this up really quickly. So there was the um, uh, touring pharmaceuticals, touring pharmaceuticals years ago, bought the rights to this one drug that people depend on daily to live. Mm-hmm. They bought the rights to that drug, and then the CEO along with the board decided to up the price by I think over 5,000%. Yes. I, I know and of course there's this about. big uproar. Yeah. Right. And this CEO, right. Somebody actually reached out to him, a journalist on Twitter, now X, uh, then Twitter reached out to him and said, you know, why did you decide to do that? And he's like, well, it was a good business decision. Right. Um, and the guy says, well, don't you care about these people who depend on this drug to live daily? Like, how do you sleep at night? Well, I take sleeping pills. You know, like the the guy had no shit. So when you look at something like that, you realize, yeah, we really do need shame. Yeah. It's it's actually a good thing. It can be a bad thing, like in the case of Judas. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, 
it, looking at the story of Judas and his response versus Peter's, another thing that was kind of highlighted to me was the reality that Judas, if he truly believed, truly believed that Jesus was the Son of God, then that automatically means that everything that Jesus ever spoke about repentance and relationship, he would have ran back to Jesus. Or at least in their case, he would have ran to his community. Where does your regret take you? Where does your grief take you? I don't think Judas felt, felt the true weight of separation from Jesus. Like you guys said, he, he felt the guilt. And guilt will lead you to, as we see, and as has been well highlighted, will lead you to dealing with things on your on your own accord. Yeah, and and I think that's really important to highlight. And I also think our attitudes towards these issues is pretty important too. Um, mm-hmm. Like when you go to Matthew's account and you read the story of when even Jesus is telling the disciples that someone is going to betray him, and the, all the disciples start asking, "Is it I, Lord?" Well, then Judas, it says, Judas, who would betray him, answered him, is it I, Rabbi? And it's like, notice how Judas's attitude uh, is like, he's so convinced that Jesus doesn't know it's him, that he's just going to go ahead and be emboldened enough to speak up. Like, he didn't have to speak up. He could have just sat there and said nothing, bringing no attention to himself, and yet he does so and almost condescendingly, right? He, he, he speaks up, not, not I, Rabbi? You know, Judas is so wrapped up as in, in his own selfishness and deluded cunning. And by this point, by this point, he's already made the yeah. deal with the religious leader. So he knows he's going to do this. But the wrestle there right. for him too is, I almost wonder, it's like, why wouldn't you call me out? You called out Peter. Why wouldn't you call me out? Yeah, I mean... I think I think Judas was probably, I mean, not not. It doesn't say in the text, right? But I think at that point he was so convinced that um, he wasn't going to get caught. Uh, like he's just so wrapped up in himself, and that's what I mean. Before, during, and after, he's still thinking about himself. Like his lead up to the situation is very self focused. He's he's so focused on thinking that what he's done is so cunning that Jesus couldn't possibly know that it was him, which is why I think he speaks up. And then afterwards, even when he feels this great sense of regret, he's still going inward. And he's like, how can I, how can I feel better? And I, I yeah. think that's where the difference is. Uh, to what you were saying just, just then, Troy, I think, you know, we sometimes need to check our attitudes and, because that even the attitude of well I'm too great a sinner for Christ to save me well that's pride. that's pride <laughs> yeah it is and cuz it's a it's just it's not true mm-hmm. um no. and b I think it's still focusing on ourselves I'm too great a sinner Christ is not big enough of a savior to be able to do anything with me well yeah, that's exactly. Uh, exactly. and and you have to be careful right because you know, um, people genuine might be genuine. Um, but at the exact same time, how often are we genuinely wrong? And I think what you're highlighting there is also the fact that you have the kind of regret that's very self-focused. You can almost glory in your own failures, 
Yeah. Like that, that defines who you are. And I've met people like this. I know people like this where music, man, you know, this one, <laughs> yeah, the, <laughs> this one lady doesn't know what she is unless she is oppressed. She's had a hard life. She's, you know, come through all of these things. That's what defines her. Yeah. So to her, it's almost inconceivable that she's had a good life in some ways at mm-hmm. least, right? And she's so wrapped up in this sort of, I'm a, I'm the victim of the circumstances. Yeah. So like she almost glories in the sort of all the hard things that she's, she said like, you know, almost like nobody can outclass me in terms mm-hmm. of suffering. Right. Right. There is that slight kind of maybe she won't put it in those terms. Uh, and when the push comes to shove, she might agree, okay, yeah, there are greater sufferings out there, but that's what she carries and walks with every day. That's what defines yeah. her. And I think that's really dangerous. Yeah. Um, because again, like you were saying, the at that point the eyes are on yeah. you. Right. You, your eyes are not on yeah. That's what we see. And with I think Judas. right, exactly. And I think to connect that i think we need to connect that with the way we view god yeah big time because if you have the idea the picture of god who is eager to punish you and destroy you and the kind of uh cosmic tyrant that has this 24 7 surveillance on you for you know, to discover any opportunity of wrongdoing the CCTV. to punish you instantly <laughs> Yeah, then you're not going to come to the to Heavenly Father to ask for forgiveness. Yeah. You're going to run away from him. Mm-hmm. Preacher man, preacher man. <laughs> Wes, did you have any uh, final yeah, thoughts? Yeah, I think I think there's there's that type of regret, uh, Steve, but then there's also a, there's also like situational regret, um which uh, I've I've uh, heard described as Uncle Rico syndrome. Do you guys remember Uncle Rico from Napoleon Dynamite? <laughs> Petra got throw the football yeah. over the mountains. Yeah, that's right. It, Back in if, my day. If coach, if coach <laughs> just put me in, uh, we would have won state, right? We, we would have won, won state. state. Uh, no where where it's mind. like you're so caught up in the in the what ifs that it and and blaming everybody yeah. else that it couldn't possibly be your fault. And it's just another version yeah. of thinking more highly of yourself than you really ought to. And that's not to get down on yourself, right? These uh, there's a no. balance here. We're not saying that, you know. Uh, there's there's a good kind of regret there's a bad kind of regret there's a there's a good kind of self-reflection there's a bad kind of self-reflection but that um ultimately the the focus should be on on like exactly what you just said steve who god is and that's more important than who we are because ultimately uh you know the whole plan of salvation history uh is about god um but the the glorious fact about that reality is that God invites us into that plan, not because of who we are, but despite who we are. And he doesn't need us, you know, like God existed in a set of living, loving relationships eternally in the person of the Trinity. He doesn't need to create. He does create as an outpouring of his love. And then he invites us after we as humanity mess up into that that ultimate plan yeah. of redemption history. Yeah. He gives us beauty for ashes and joy for mourning. And uh, I, I pray that everyone here, you know, I pray that listeners, that you are encouraged today. Um, that there, you you are not 
too big of a sinner for Christ to handle because he has already completed it. It has already been finished on the cross and it is for you to receive it. Your Whether you would look at it as regret or, or, or guilt or shame, it all needs to fall at the feet of Jesus at the foot of the cross, the same one that he left so you can leave it to um, in his power and in his strength. Um, but thank you listeners so much for tuning into the AC podcast. We pray you were challenged and encouraged. Uh, the AC podcast is a ministry of apologetics Canada. So make sure to like and subscribe on social media, your favorite streaming platforms on YouTube. But um, you know the drill. Tune in next week as we find more things to think about and love God, love people. Bye for now. It's the AC podcast.